From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are rocketed on the Automotive ADHD Show. Heard around the world as a podcast and on the radio in Southern Colorado, 91.7 KLZR, voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. My name is Matt West. I am your enthusiastic, perhaps over-enthusiastic uh, gearhead and host of this show. And I have a packed show for you today. We got a, we're, The show's going to run a little shorter than usual because I got a lot of stuff to get to. And uh, I've got a really fun trip to leave for here soon. So I'll tell you about that. But we're going to talk about today how the Taliban has a car. They have a supercar now. Yes, the Taliban is in, you know, that Taliban, the one you're thinking of. Um, We're going to talk about sketchy auto loans and how one company got busted for doing some really sketchy stuff that nobody wants. And we're going to talk about what they did, how you can avoid that. Uh, We're also going to talk about how Ford has acknowledged that their EV batteries are less efficient in the cold. Yeah, they admitted it. They admitted it. They've even provided some handy tips as to what you can do if you are in the unfortunate predicament of owning an F-150 Lightning. So (laughs) we're going to get to that. Uh, And of course, your car sounds on this edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. Uh, Now, last week, I had an interview with Stan Merzaev, who is the CEO and founder of the Parts Pass app. It was a great interview, and Stan was really good to have on the show. So if you missed it, you got to check it out after you listen to this this episode here. Scroll down in your podcast feed. Check it out. That was uh, really cool. Again, I want to thank Stan for joining me on the show. And uh, I think Stan's got a really cool concept with the Parts Pass app. He's doing some really cool stuff. And I'd like to definitely see where he goes with that. So very cool. And definitely check that out. Now, what I am prepping for this week, and part of the reason why this episode is going to be it's a tiny bit shorter than usual, is because I am going to Scottsdale, Arizona. In fact, uh, well, let me let me put it this way. I am currently recording this at about 11 p.m., 11 o'clock at night, and I'm leaving bright and early in the morning um, and uh, driving down to Arizona to uh, visit um, my buddy Wesley Kagan. Now, longtime listeners of the show might recognize uh, Wesley Kagan. They might recognize his name. He is an accomplished automotive YouTuber with almost 200,000 subscribers. Uh, You've likely seen his videos. He's had millions of views on many of his videos. Um, He's the guy who did his own Koenigsegg free valve technology um, and he DIY'd it, the whole free valve thing. That's a, that's its own thing. I did a whole show on how that works. You can find that. But he did his own version of free valve on a Mazda Miata. So if you've seen that video, you know who I'm talking about. Um, and right now he's working on some other fun projects. So I'm going to touch base with him. He's going to be on the show. I'm going to be doing the show from his shop um, next week. And uh, then also going to be checking out Barrett Jackson, which is one of the biggest... Uh, collector car auctions. I'm going to be there on the Saturday, which is the um, that is the the last Saturday, which is the really really busy day. That is the big day. Um, I did Barrett Jackson a couple years ago. I went on a weekday. wasn't as exciting, but people who know what they're talking about have told me you got to go on the last Saturday. So I'm going to go there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now I don't have a vendor booth there like I did at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Fan Fest and some other stuff. 
Um, and that's just because of logistics. This and <laughs> I didn't actually I wasn't even planning this trip until about a, a week and a half ago, uh, two weeks ago. So uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to be taking the show on the road. We're going to do the show from Arizona, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So you definitely need to stick around for next week's show. Um, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. So now I want to move on to the uh, first thing here on the list. So uh, speaking of, you know, we've, we've had cold weather here in Colorado. It's been sufficiently cold for quite a while now, otherwise known as wintertime. We are one of those states that does get wintertime. And um, if you are unfortunate enough to own an F-150 Lightning, then this might pertain to you. Now, for the rest of us, we can poke fun at all the F-150 Lightning owners who spent a lot of money on a pickup truck that doesn't work when it snows. So, <laughs> and speaking of cold, by the way, I, I know a thing or two about cold. It is probably like 14 degrees outside right now. And uh, inside my garage, which is where I'm recording this, but where I'm also filming it, uh, of course, you can listen to the show on all the podcast platforms. You can listen to it on the weekend on the radio, but you can now watch it on YouTube and Rumble. So now I've got this lovely video set around me. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got a crusty Corolla, uh, in the background there. And, uh, no, it's, it's not a green screen. I can, I can touch the car. I can, I can even take off my radiator cap. Here we go. Can I get it from here? Oh, oh, that's nasty. Oh, I got it all over my hands. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's not a green screen. So <laughs> anyway, I'll put that there and forget to put it back on. So that said, it is cold in here, by the way, it's cold. So my garage, it, it's decently insulated, but um, let me put it this way. If you're watching on the video, and, and you should, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the Rumble page. Uh, link in the uh, description of this podcast. But look at this. You can see you can see my breath. That's how cold it is in here. I know. Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I sitting here in the cold talking to you? I don't know why I'm doing it, but I am doing it for your sake. So, uh, yeah, you better you better be grateful. But anyway, on to the F-150 Lightning. Um it's one of those vehicles that was very hyped um, up until it came out, and even after it came out. Uh, and, you know, and, and it's on the market now. People have them in, in their garages. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think engineers, when you design something, um, you know, you design something, if you're the manufacturer, you design it to do a certain number of things. You test it for those things. But you never truly know what it's going to do until the customers get it, because there are so many different things customers can do to a vehicle that testing engineers could never do or even think of doing. Now, granted, Ford has been making cars for a long time. They they kind of know how to build cars. That's what they do. Um, but one issue with the F-150 Lightning that owners have been reporting is that the cold weather performance is not very good, and especially in terms of the battery. Now, we know that this is a thing with electric vehicles. This has been publicized with Tesla vehicles before. And yes, the lithium-ion batteries are less efficient at discharging and charging their energy in the cold. And that's just a, a fact of life. But Tesla does a number of things um, to help mitigate that. Uh, and I know one listener of the show who um, who who comments about driving their Tesla cross-country in the winter and and all this stuff. And you, you can absolutely do it. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But there are some things you have to consider, like preconditioning the battery. For instance, the Tesla is not going to be as efficient at charging 
unless you precondition the battery, which means the battery is going to use some, some heater elements in there to heat itself up, to get it to a point where it is able to efficiently charge and do so well. And uh, Tesla has a system for you to do that. Um, but Ford has some tips too, because they, you know, it's, it's an EV, it's a pickup truck. Now, the thing is, I feel like more people who have F-150 Lightnings are using them in cold climates than more people with Teslas would be. Uh, plenty of people do drive them in the cold, uh, in the frozen north as well. Uh, but I feel like more pickup truck owners, pickup truck owners are more inclined to do that at the very least. And, um, and with that, Ford has talked about a couple of these, well, we, we've acknowledged that there's an issue with the battery in the cold. It doesn't work as well. The range is not as good. And they say, well, here we go. How, what if you park your vehicle in a garage? Yeah. And keep it plugged in. That's tip number one. Yeah. Yeah. Really no brainer right there. Um, so I guess tip number one is keep it in a garage. Tip number two is keep it plugged in. And now here's the third tip. And this is what's a little frustrating. What's getting under the skin of some owners. And um, it is using digging through the Ford's, the, the, the Ford F-150 Lightning settings, going through the touchscreen and specifically planning out your trips and all your routes. So the battery can know your route or the battery, the vehicle can know your route and it can precondition the battery um, along the way, but this is tedious and you have to actually do it and look, look at it this way. You know, my gas car, like the one sitting behind me, I've, I've never had to program into the computer, my trip so that the battery can know when it should precondition the battery for charging and stuff. Yeah. You know, I just get in and I drive. It just, it just works. I, I don't know. I don't know why that is it just works. But Oh man. I, I'm going to rub, I'm going to rub some EV um, owners wrong here. And that's, um, that, that, you know what? I love EVs. They have a purpose. They have a purpose in this world. But I'll also take a stab at them every any opportunity. And you know what? They're welcome to stab back at me with everything else. This is this is mutual. This is mutual. But um, another tip here that Ford has that is even more controversial is get this, get this. Don't use the heat. Yeah, the heat uses too much energy. The batteries cannot. Uh, efficiently manage that energy in a way that makes sense and allows you to have range and heat. Now, you see, in a gas car, guess what I'm going to say? You know what I'm going to say, right? I don't have that problem. It's amazing, right? It's just the heat just works. Well, sometimes, unless you have a you know crusty filled up heater core or something, uh, which the, um, the, uh, the new 240, by the way, had like mud in its heater core, by the way, the, the latest addition to the automotive ADHD fleet. That being said, uh, you know, it, it boils down to this, right? When you have heat in a gas car, uh, the heat is generated by the engine, okay? You have the cooling system in the engine. The coolant that flows through all the coolant jackets in the engine keeps the engine at a normal operating temperature, and then that coolant goes and flows through the radiator, and it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. That's how that works. Now, the way the heat works is that coolant, that warm coolant goes through another set of lines into the uh, through the firewall. And in the dashboard is the heater core, which you can think of that just like another radiator, just a smaller little radiator in the climate box. And the fan blows air through that, picks up the heat from that. So Basically, what I'm saying is in a gas car, your heating is kind of passive when you think about it. It's a byproduct of the combustion process. It's otherwise wasted energy. It's otherwise has no purpose. 
Um, but you're able to repurpose that. Isn't that kind of in the spirit of recycling and being efficient? Something EV owners like to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that being said, in an electric car, you don't necessarily have that. Um, a lot of electric cars, you just have an electric heater, um, you know, like a resistive electric heater, for instance, inside the dashboard, and then air blows through that, and that's how you get your hot air. So it does take energy from the battery. Instead of being a byproduct of the driving process, it takes extra energy. And Ford says, um, yeah, no matter how cold it is, don't run the heat if you want to maximize your range. And um, not to mention, you know, obviously... Another issue here, like I said, EVs discharge uh, less efficiently when they're cold. They also charge less efficiently when they're cold. The name of the uh, YouTuber escapes me right now. But there was a YouTuber um, who does a lot of Tesla stuff. And, uh, and they demonstrated how inefficient the Tesla can be if you don't precondition the battery before charging it. And it took so much longer for that battery to charge. It ultimately did charge. But it took a really long time for it to happen, and uh, he was very cold sitting in his Tesla while it happened. So there's, there is that. Like I said, there are solutions, right? Uh, you know, precondition the battery. That's fine. That's, that's an adequate solution to the problem. But should the problem even exist in the first place? That is the, um, that's the question. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, look, Ford has kind of acknowledged this. Ford has also said another thing you can do remove the snow from the vehicle before driving it yeah really yeah so you can see that's helpful too <laughs> so it's it's good being able to see but they say that adds more weight and more drag and they also say don't speed in cold weather so uh, all of these are tips that ford has officially published saying that this is what you can do to maximize your range with your f-150 lightning but it's also kind of them admitting hey the uh yeah, we get it. With the batteries don't work as well in the cold. Now, I don't know why it's necessarily a surprise, though. Um, in a press release, Ford said they did test the F-150 Lightning. Uh, their engineers tested it in temperatures as low as negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit, which, for my friends who speak Celsius, I have no idea what that is, but it's cold. It's really cold, by the way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they've, they've done that. I, I, I don't know. You know what? It's one of those things. EVs are a growing technology. As, as we go on here, we're going to get more efficient with operating in the cold. There's there's no questions about that. Uh, and again, EVs have a they have a, a valid purpose. I won't deny that. Um, longtime listeners of this show know that where I stand on the EV debate is that we should honestly just have EVs and gas cars. Um, the whole notion of governments wanting to ban one so we can have the other is ludicrous, in my opinion. If you want to be a functioning um, society and you want to not be subject to the political whims of, you know, other countries and other things that happen. Honestly, having both is ideal. Having both is a good idea. Um, so I, I definitely am not on board with the notion that, well, we got to ban gas cars to have EVs. No, screw it. Why don't we just have both? Both is fine. Um, and, um, and they both have their strong suits and they both have, um, things that make them not so good. I'll, I'll acknowledge that EVs have a, have a level of convenience in some ways um, that I do wish my gas cars had, um, you know, especially if you're someone who has uh, solar at your house, if you have solar on your roof at your house, and then you charge the car with the solar and you plug it in every night, you don't 
you know, go super far with it. You drive it to work and back, errands, you do this and that, and every night you plug it in, and it basically charges for free off of the solar. That's great. Obviously, you have to factor in the cost of all of that stuff, the upfront cost of all of that equipment, but the, the convenience of that's cool. Um, and being able to road trip a Tesla is totally possible. Lots of people have proven that that's entirely possible, and that is thanks to the work Tesla has put into its network of chargers. Um, one thing I would like to discuss later on the show uh, is uh, is the current state of EV chargers and the EV network and stuff. Um, I know a lot of owners who are particularly disgruntled uh, because they can't charge their cars because the chargers that are not managed by Tesla, all the other third-party chargers, um, you know, for other vehicles like Rivian's, the F-150 Lightning, for example, um, those charger networks are not being maintained correctly. They're oftentimes unavailable, not just not working. You could be planning a road trip and you're planning it along a route of chargers and you get to that charger and, well, it's out of order. What are you going to do about it? It's been out of order for three months. No one's fixed it. That's been a bit, that's been a big issue. So that, that's a topic for um, another day. So, you know, I'm, I'm not just here to hate on EVs, you know, right? <laughs> right. It may come off that way, but trust me, trust me, I, I'm not. So uh, what we're going to go ahead and do here, we got a lot more stuff to talk about here in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about the Taliban and how the Taliban has developed their own supercar. And it's a little weird. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharge BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes, you, can make a difference. More information is available on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. All right. Those car sounds. Digging those ones out of the vault. That was Tanner. And his uh, Volvo 164. Yeah, that was a Volvo, if you can believe that. Did you hear the chop on that thing? Oh, come on, man. That sounded, that sounded awesome. And if, and and then the the revving there at the end. And yeah, yeah, that's that was that was cool. That was cool. I dig it. V8 swapped Volvo 164. By the way, you can send your car sounds into the show, and uh, you should send your car sounds into the show because I will play them on the show. You know, longtime listeners know how this works. You send them in facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. I play them on the show. And then you're also entered for a chance to win some cool stuff. $25 auto parts store gift certificate, the automotive ADHD keychain, which I don't have one on the table here. I'm slacking and the automotive ADHD sticker, which if you are uh, watching on video again, uh, YouTube and rumble, click on the uh, link in the description of the podcast here. But if you're watching on video, Hey, look at that. You can see on the back of my laptop here, the As Heard On, the Automotive ADHD Show. Isn't that cool? So your car gets to be 
played on the show. And then you get a sticker saying your car was on the show. And then you can put that on your car. I mean, you, you could put it on whatever you want, honestly. I mean, you could put it on your refrigerator. That doesn't, doesn't matter, but but you should put it on your car. That's a, that's a given right there. So uh, yeah, send your car sounds in. I do the drawing for that every month. I am due for a uh, drawing this month, by the way, and we're going to uh, do that next week with uh, Wesley Kagan. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, definitely send those car sounds in. Uh, now, what I've got here, something before, before we talk about the Taliban, I got to touch on this. This is cool. So, uh, and if you follow the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD, you may have seen this already. You are a little ahead of everybody else. Um, the Pikes Peak Hill Climb now has an official license plate, and it is available to um, people here in Colorado, of course, where I'm doing the show. That means that means it's available to me, too. Is it? Hey, that's, uh, that's cool. <laughs> it makes me feel good about myself. Uh, it's a really cool license plate. And I think it's about time the hill climb got its own plate. And uh, I, I'm a fan of cool, quirky license plates. And Colorado has an interesting license plate on its own. On its own. They're, I think it's a great-looking license plate um, compared to some other states, which, quite frankly, have boring license plates. Um, and if you're not familiar with the Colorado license plate, and you're not watching on the video, because you can, on the video, see one in the, um, one in the background there. Um, but... Um, if you're uh, not in Colorado and you don't, you're not watching the video, the plate, basically you got a set of white mountains taking up about the bottom three quarters of the, the plate. The numbers sit over the mountains. And then on top of that, you have a green colored sky outlining those mountains. And uh, it's got green text on it. And it's a, it, quite frankly, it's a great looking license plate. Uh, I love the Colorado plate. Now the Pikes Peak Hill Climb one, um, this one is interesting. I dig it because it's got the white mountains but then it's got this blue sky with like radiant rays coming out from the sun, which is in the middle of it, just beneath the crest of the mountains. But the sun is actually the Colorado Sea logo. And then you got race cars flanking it on either side. And uh, you've got a more modern looking race car and a much more vintage looking old school um, open uh, Pikes Peak uh, racer. I'm drawing a blank as to what the name of that is called. But they're, they're the Pikes Peak race cars from like the like a hundred years ago. So you've got that says the Pikes Peak Hill climb on it. I think that is very cool, especially as someone who likes to get involved with the Pikes Peak Hill climb um, every year. Of course, I covered a lot of the hill climb stuff um, this year. I know a lot, I see a lot of new listeners jumping on board with the show and uh, you may not have scrolled all the way back to uh, last summer when we did the show live from the Pikes Peak Hill Climb Fan Fest, we had uh, Jimmy Ford, racing driver, in the hill climb on there. Bunch of great folks. Really great coverage of the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. And then I was there for a number of the practice days and the main event day, which, by the way, was really cold last year. Like, it was foggy. You couldn't see anything. Race day was it was a rough day, but but it was uh, it was good. It's all in the fun of the hill climb every single year. I plan to make it out there um, this year uh, as well. So uh, yeah, will I be sitting in line at the DMV for one of these license plates? There's not a lot of things you can do to get me to actually sit or stand in line at the DMV. Like there's really not. Like I I'll, I'll go in there to renew my license because I need that, but. That's about it, <laughs> except for this. I'll do it for this. I will do it for this. I promise you I will get one of these plates, and uh, anyone who needs to um, 
claim quote unquote residency in Colorado. So you can also get one of the license plates. I'm sure I can find a corner of the garage somewhere. I can, I can move that pile of Jeep doors and other stuff in that corner and rent that out to you or something. So uh, yeah, let, <laughs> let me know. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. All right. So I want to get onto this now. The Taliban, that Taliban, the, the one you're thinking of, the you know, you know that one, uh, now has a supercar. That's an interesting thing for the Taliban to have. They call it um, the Mada 9. Okay, whatever that means. It is a prototype supercar, and it's made by a company called ENTOP. I don't know if that's pronounced individually as an acronym or if it's just ENTOP. Yeah, Entop Mata 9. So it is the Entop Mata 9. It has a Toyota drivetrain, modified Toyota engine. They didn't say what. I would assume just because I know it, they're pretty popular for um, mid-engine swaps. Um, the uh, Toyota uh, 2GRFE, which comes out of the Camrys and the minivans, the Avalons, also in the new um, or the uh, third-gen Toyota Tacomas. Uh, it's a V6, dual overhead cam, variable valve time. And I'm not saying for sure that's what's in here, but it is really popular to put those two GRFEs into things like SW20 MR2s. I have a buddy who actually has one, and that car is uh, is nuts. <laughs> it's MR2 with a all-aluminum dual cam V6 making like 300 horsepower. Yeah, it's really nutty. Um, but they're, they're pretty good for those mid-engine swaps, especially because there's a lot of transmission options for them too. And... Um, I think I would go out on a limb and say that's probably what this car has. It says a modified Toyota engine. Well, it's probably not a four-cylinder, probably not an eight-cylinder. It's probably going to be that 2G RFE. And again, the transmissions that uh, for transverse mounting, but transverse mounting in the rear, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. That's what I would guess it has. It probably has that plus maybe boost. I don't know. All of this could be fake, too, because, I mean, it is the Taliban we're talking about. Um, in a uh, press re release about the car, um, there is a picture. I'll go ahead and put the picture up here on the um, on the video, by the way. <laughs> and uh, there's a picture of a dude, uh, a Taliban leader of some sort, uh, talking about the car. You can see the car behind him. And also standing behind him is clearly an armed Taliban soldier uh, with his rifle and his plate carrier. And uh, yes, this is definitely a, uh, you know, serious automotive press briefing because the dude with the plate carrier and a rifle on in the background. But OK, it's the Taliban. What do you expect? Now, the car is interesting. The car's got some interesting curves. It has a striking design. I'll say it's a halfway decent looking design. But I do worry about this because um, I get that it's a prototype car. But in the Taliban, they say that they believe that having a supercar means that they're a serious player on the world stage. It shows that they are economically a relative, uh, you know, a, a serious contender, right? And uh, But I don't know economically how serious this car actually is, because if you look at the photos of it, um, they show some of the photos of it being made in some sort of facility, some sort of shop, uh, they don't show much of the uh, shop around. It could be very small for all we know. But they show it, and it's clearly got a lot of body filler work and some other stuff. I mean, it's it's covered in 
Uh, it's got a lot of Bondo, a lot of different things. Now, that's used when you do body work. Um, you know, sometimes really high-end body work is hand-done. You, you know, you, you put some, you know, filler down and you block it really thin. And then you do that over and over again. And then you prime it, block it, prime it, block it, fill it. You do all these different things. Um, and, and that's how you would hand-build a car. And that's fine. That's how you can hand-build some really good body work. But hand-building... A single supercar, which, uh, by the way, it took them five years. They say 30 engineers, and it took five years to develop this car. Um, that's a lot of time for, I, I don't know. Look, I guess the point I'm trying to make is this is clearly not a car designed to be mass-produced, not in any way, shape, or form. It's it's definitely a concept. It's a proof of concept. Noth, nothing about looking at the pre-production photos of this thing being designed and built tells me, yes, this is ready for production. No, this is a one-off car that took a long time to make. And the problem with that is how do you scale this to full-speed production? Now, obviously, supercars are not a high-production item. It's not like Ferrari's making a million cars every year. Yeah, I get their lower production. I get there's a degree of hand-builtness to it. Um Probably not this much hand built. Uh, probably, probably not. Probably not as hand built as this N Top Mata Nine. This thing looks very, very hand built, um, and I have a feeling this car is not going to go far. That's just my opinion. And also, I can't seem to actually find any legitimate videos of it running or driving or doing anything else. Uh, you know, again, bear in mind that this is the Taliban we're talking about, uh, and I would take anything that the Taliban does with a grain of salt. Um, and, uh, and it's, yeah, you know, they've said, yeah, 30 engineers designed this car. Yeah, did they really, did they really, were they, were they, uh, maybe designing it at gunpoint? I don't know. <laughs> Again, we're talking about the Taliban here and they say they're serious about making supercars. Now. Um, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I don't think it's, um, nearly what they say it is. I think it's definitely a PR stunt. I don't think we're going to suddenly see on Motor Trend, on Car and Driver, the Taliban's new supercar breaking world records. I don't think we're going to see that. I really don't think we're going to see that. Uh, it is interesting. And uh, you know what? I, you know, if some real skill went into actually building and designing the car, if, you know, this was a passion project of a group of designers, I won't belittle their work, but I also don't really think that's what it was. Um, and, uh, we'll have to see, you know what, who knows? Yeah. Maybe you will see it on the front page of whatever <laughs> magazine. I doubt it though. I very seriously doubt it. Now we're going to move on here to the third half of the show. We got a lot of other interesting stuff to get to. We're going to talk about auto loans. How interesting is that? This is good though. There's a company who's, um, facing some pretty big fines for doing some pretty sketchy stuff. We're going to talk about that and talk about how to avoid it as well. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft. Child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep. That was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. 
and we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fasting. All right. Another car sound from the vaults. That is uh, Artem and his TVR. Cerbra. How cool is that? By the way, if there's a specific TBR Cerbra that you're thinking of, and uh, it's specifically one that's been on Ed Bullion's car track and has been in a number of automotive magazines and other stuff throughout the years, it's yeah, it is actually that car that you heard, by the way. So um, isn't that cool? Yeah, I'm, I'm going through the vault here, digging out some really fun car sounds that folks have sent me in the past year. I have literally... I probably have, there's there's a ton of them. I mean, I think we're probably at over 100 for sure. So, um, yeah, get those car sounds in. If you want your car on the show, why isn't it on the show already? Come on, send it in. Go for it. Do it. Get your chance to win some cool stuff. And then also, you know, come on, it's cool. Tell your friends, yeah, my, my car was on the show. It's on this podcast. It also was on the radio. That's pretty cool, too. Um, and so, yeah, you can send those car sounds in. You can also email me. If Facebook's not your speed, obviously there is the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. But you can also email me, matt at throttlewarrior.com. Uh, or if you're feeling really spendy, I think, uh, why not tape? Why, why not put your car sounds on a flash drive and then tape that flash drive to, um, oh, let me see. Let me look at the tires that I have sitting here right now. Oh, let's see. Yeah, how about some um, Falcon Azeni RT660s in, look, look at, let's look at it, 245-40R17. These, these ones have seen some better days, so why not send it, tape it to a set of four of these and uh, send those into the show, and um, I'll play your car sounds literally for forever, nonstop. It'll just be your car sounds, the whole show, the entire time. So, yeah, you should definitely do that. Now, um, I've got some other stuff here that... We got to talk about. We got to talk about car loans, and and car loans are something that is that are integral to how we do cars. A lot of people finance cars. Um, a huge number of people finance cars, and getting a loan is just part of that. Uh, but there is this principle, there is this concept of a title pawn, which differs from your regular auto loan. You might go to a regular lender. And go get when you buy your car. It might be a lender through the dealership. It might be something that they've coordinated, or it might be something else that you've done through your own bank. You get an auto loan approved, and uh, they uh, help you buy the car, and then they hang on to the title until you pay it off, and then they mail it to you. Uh, of course, there's this whole principle of interest, and we're going to get into that. Now, I know you know generally how car loans work. Um, but this concept of title ponds is a little different and it's gotten a certain company into some hot water, some very hot water with the government. Like they were fined $9 million and they're still under investigation. That didn't even sort it out. And so it's a company called TitleMax and they operate, uh, primarily out of Georgia, but they are a national company, but they do a lot of their operations, um, in the state of Georgia. And, um, the idea with a title pawn, they're usually for pretty small dollar amounts. Title pawns are usually directed at people who maybe are struggling with money at the moment. They need some quick cash. What you do is you take your title to them, 
you give them the title, they give you a check for X amount of money and you pay that off. It's think of it like a pawn shop, but for just the title. And uh, obviously, if you choose not to pay that loan back, they're going to come repo your car. That's uh, that's basically how that works. So the idea of it being that you usually already have the car and then they're going to loan you money against the car you have. Now, technically, you can do this. You can do a similar thing uh, at a regular uh, lender, and it's not necessarily known as a title loan. But in this case, uh, here's where Title Max got into some trouble. Um, mostly trouble by being scummy and uh, not good business-wise. Um, but the U.S. government initiated an investigation, the uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Um, they initiated an investigation back in 2016, and um, they determined that Title Max violated tons of federal laws with unfair, deceptive, and abusive acts towards customers um, in multiple states, uh, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and uh, they were fined a good chunk of money for that. Now, some of these unsavory uh, business practices um, included having sky-high interest rates, like interest rates like 120 140%. And you're probably wondering, how is that even allowed? That's, that's what you would call a predatory loan, by the way. And the way they did this, uh, and this came to light from some whistleblowers, you could call them, some people who worked for... Uh, Title Max, who talked about how some of the internal operations go at that company. And they said it was a company that was um, really driven to keep customers paying their loans. Their salespeople uh, were instructed in many ways to prevent people from actually paying their loans off. Now, how they did this whole hundred something percent interest, I mean, who would even, who would in their right mind, or even if you're not in your right mind, who would actually go and say, yeah, I need a loan for $2,000 and let's do it at 160% interest? Yeah, nobody, nobody. But that being said, so this is how they did it. So they're, they're, a lot of times we think of interest rates as an annual interest rate and or you know over the course of the loan, be that, you know, however long your loan is. Um, what Title Max did was they had 30-day loans. So their, their title pawns were considered... 30-day contracts. And at the end of the contract, a new one would start every single time. So if you didn't pay it off in 30 days, boom, you're rolled into a new 30-day contract per the terms of the last contract. And that 30-day contract has, say, 12% interest. They would get people at, oh yeah, we'll get you at 11.2%, 12% interest. That's still pretty high, by the way. Um, but the sort of people who are in the market for these title pawn loans uh, are usually willing accept they're willing to accept those interest rates. They're usually in some sort of dire financial situation. So they're willing to accept that. Well, the problem is, so that's 12% interest. On a 30-day loan, that means the term of the loan is 30 days, and it's 12% interest. And so guess what? If you do this 30-day loan and then roll that into the next 30-day loan and the next one and the next one, what happens is that interest compounds, basically. It's compounding interest every single month, which means, say, after 10 months, 12% interest is 120% interest. And that is mind-blowing that you can even do that. Well, technically, you can't because they got fined for it. The government said, no, <laughs> don't do that. Um, but that doesn't mean that $9 million, that's a slap on the wrist for a company like that. That doesn't mean that the people who got absolutely scammed by this are any better off. That doesn't that doesn't really solve that problem. Now, another thing, um, according to, um, uh, according to again, another Title Max employee, 
um, uh, who worked there, uh, who said, quote, I carry a lot of guilt, quote, my community trusted me and what the company was selling to the community wasn't good for them. And uh, another thing they would do, so another sketchy loan practice that they did was they would take they would their their salespeople their representatives would tell people that their minimum payment um, is X amount of dollars. I'm just going to make up a number. Say it's twenty dollars a month. Well, that twenty dollars a month only say covered the interest rate. So their their minimum payment only covered the monthly interest every single time. The minimum payment didn't factor in anything towards the principal of the loan. The principal of the loan is what you are actually paying against. The interest you can think about, obviously, as the cost of the loan. The principal is the part you're actually paying back. You got a $2,000 loan and you got 20 bucks interest. You pay the 20 bucks and then you pay, you want to pay more than that. You want to pay another 50. You want to pay another hundred that goes towards paying down that principal for that loan until you pay it off. Well, their loan practices had people deceptively telling them that the minimum payment was so low that it just barely covered that interest, which by the way, the interest was sky high. Remember, this is compounding interest every single month for a year, if not more. A lot of people would get trapped into these loans and um, and and never get out of them because they're they're already going to this company because they're in financial, you know, uh, they're in a situation of financial hardship. Is it you know, reasonable to think that they would pay their way out of the loan? Of course not. No, they're, they're already there because they're hard up for money. And then this is just taking advantage of people who are desperate. And that is diabolical. That is, that is just truly despicable. And a company like this, I mean, a $9 million fine for a company like this, who's raking in tens of millions through all the customers they have. Um, it's reported, by the way, that the company made $735 million in revenue. And um, it's $735 million. The government comes along a couple years ago, says, hey, don't do that $9 million loan. That's $735 million a year. That $9 million, that's nothing. That's not, that, that deters them in no way, shape, or form. And that's been proven because, again, they were fined in 2016. And they are now, again, once again, under investigation for other unsavory and um, questionable loan practices. It clearly did nothing. Um, now, one of the employees who is a little bit of a uh, whistleblower here, um, who's you know moved on and to do some other things, um, and their name is uh, her name is Cordelius Brown, uh, by the way, and um, and she worked all, all the way from being um, you know just a, a representative at the company, just talking to people, doing customer service, all the way to being a branch manager and managing several stores. And she said, even on the management level, um, you know their policies didn't seem that weird to her. That didn't seem that odd or that predatory. Um, but she, over time, began to see the impact this had on her community and truly how many people were actually struggling. Now she um, started telling people how they can pay more than the minimum payment, which goes to the, the the principal, which goes to paying that off, which clearly was something the company didn't want people to know. And um, she was reprimanded for that. And um, ultimately, she resigned and uh, and is one of the reasons we know about some of these predatory loan practices. Now, what you can do to avoid this, right? What you can do to avoid it is, A, don't get a loan with that company. 
that's 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 number one. That letter letter B, <laughs> letter one. That's uh, that's there. That there we go. That's that's the first thing, right? Um, the second thing too is at least look at what reputable lenders there are, and there some of them are not that hard to find. Your average banks, your Wells Fargo, your Ent banks, you know, USAA, Bank of America. They all do they all do loans. Um, you know, and it's a that's a good starting place. I think uh, Joe Schmo's auto broker and loans. Uh, on the sketchy part of town is probably not a good place to start. Um, but also understanding how a lot of the interest rate rates work, how the certain just fundamentals of a loan work. You have the principal and you have the interest rate. Um, and that's something that a company like Title Max was able to take advantage of people who didn't have that fundamental knowledge. Um, but just for example here, and this is this is some information from a couple years ago, uh, but it's still decently relative, right? So what are the average, you could say, well, what are the average interest rates for auto loans? Now, interest rates going to depend on a bunch of things. Obviously, it's going to depend on um, how good your credit score is. Um, it's going to depend on how much money you put down on the loan. So if it's a $30,000 car and you financed all 30000 of that, that interest rate's usually going to be higher. But if you paid uh, $15,000 cash and you financed another $15,000, um, usually that, that interest rate is also going to be, um, a little lower. Um, but here's a good representation. And this is reported by car and driver, uh, who's sourcing, um, information from the, um, U S news reports, a, uh, an agency that talks about some of this stuff. And, uh, they say a excellent credit score. So that's 750 to 850. If you're financing a new car, by the way, interest rates also matter if you're financing new or used. Um, if you're financing new, that's 4.93%, uh, 5.18% for used. And uh, uh, if you're refinancing that load, then on average, that's about 4.36%. Um, now let's look at a fair credit score. This would be the 650 to 699 range. That's 11% for new, 11.5% for used. Now, if we're looking at the, they call it the subprime uh uh, credit score range, 450 to uh, 649. That's 17.9% for new and 18% for used. Bear in mind, that's not 150% like, you know, Title Max was doing. So that's, you know, a step one is, you know, just not, do, not doing that. Once you start getting into the hundreds, it, it's, that's not worth it. Like that's, that's literally not worth it. You're, you're better off walking wherever you have to go than buying a car with a hundred something percent interest. I mean, that's just going to financially ruin you. Um, and uh, so that that's just to give you a little bit of an idea, at least of what those interest rates are going to be. And now again, it's it's going to be different for everybody. Everyone's going to have a different credit score. If you're one of my European listeners, that the whole credit score thing may not even apply to you. I can't even begin to tell you how that system works if there even is that system in much of Europe. Um, that's uh, that's a part of the the realm I'm entirely uneducated with because it varies so much country to country. But I'm speaking generally for the United States. That is that is the main thing. The credit score is going to be that main factor. Um, but just because um, maybe if you have a bad credit score, that doesn't mean you can't. Again, it doesn't mean you can't get a loan in a lot of cases. Um, in some cases, it does. But a high enough interest rate at 17.9 percent. That's one of those things where I mean, if if, if it was a friend of mine. I would recommend um, not even financing, honestly, at that interest rate. That's not even worth it. I would recommend, uh, you know what, just save up a little more money and go buy a cheap car, two or $3,000 car used, a good runner and driver. Drive that around, get that credit score up, 
and uh, then then finance something a little different. But again, at that inch, I, I wouldn't even recommend someone in that position. I wouldn't even recommend that you finance a car. And I, I get that, you know, certain situations are tough. Some people might have to. They might have to get the family to school or whatever. But generally speaking, I would say at that point, just sock away like two or three paychecks and just buy a cheap car. <laughs> like dirt cheap car. Um, so anyway, uh, there you go. Now, I hope you have had some insight into uh, a, what this company has done with loans and how you should definitely not do a loan with 100% interest. That's just insane. So hopefully you've gained some insight into that, uh, a little bit of general, general, again, very general insight into uh, automotive loans, and um, and hopefully you can avoid bad stuff like that. So that's always good. Now, hey, I do want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the Automotive ADHD Show. I am really excited to get on the road in like six hours. <laughs> I need to go to bed and get on the road. Uh, but I'm going to get on the road. I'm driving down to Arizona. Can't wait to see Wesley Kagan. Can't wait to go hang out at the Barrett Jackson Auto Auctions. It is going to be really fun. I'm going to have a blast, and uh, hopefully you will, uh, joining me for the ride. So that's going to be fun. Stay tuned to the Facebook page. Stay tuned to also the Patreon. Uh, you can find the Patreon at thespeedcouncil.org. That is thespeedcouncil.org. Org. And uh, you definitely got to check that out. And I will see you right here, same time, same place, next week. Oh, and you can also hear the show on the radio. I almost forgot to mention that. Saturday mornings. Uh, subscribe to it. Follow it on any podcast platform. You know, we're fine shows and this one are downloaded. And I'll see you right here next week on the Automotive ADHD Show. <laughs>